Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Have you always wondered what it's like to lead a digital services organization? Well, this might be the episode for you. This week, we're joined by Aaron Snow, the Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Digital Service. We'll talk a bit about what civic tech is like up there north of the border, as well as have a wide-ranging conversation about leadership, best practices, and more. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on Civic Tech Chat today. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Aaron Snow. I'm currently the head of the Canadian Digital Service, which was just started a little over a year ago here north of the border uh, in the model of uh, and taking learnings from the UK's government digital service, from ATNF and the US Digital Service, and others around the world. Uh, before that, I uh, helped start and, uh, and then ran for a while ATNF uh, in the US. I was one of a handful of presidential innovation fellows who helped get that off the ground along with some outstanding civil servants at the GSA, uh, where 18F sits. Before that, I was uh, in the private sector. I was a lawyer for a while. I apologize in advance. Uh, Yeah, so. (laughs) Yeah, from that, it seems pretty clear you've spent a pretty significant chunk of your career in like that, that civic tech space, that uh, space of trying to use technology for good. Could you tell us a little bit about your personal why? Uh, you know, like why you get out of bed in the morning and do what you do and uh, how that drives you each day? I got interested in, uh, let's say, policy uh, early on, probably in high school. Uh, and I was also very interested in computer programming in high school. And my career sort of meandered between those two things a bit. In college, I studied computer science and and went on for a while in the private sector as a programmer and as a program manager. And I've always enjoyed thinking about systems problems. At the same time, uh, while I was doing all that, I was looking for ways to have real impact uh, on people's lives. And um, at a certain point got frustrated, and this was uh, more years ago than civic tech has been uh, in the popular vocabulary. And at the time, the civic tech movement, if it existed, I didn't know about it. <laughs> it was certainly smaller and uh, lower profile, if at all. And uh, I decided at that point that I, I might be able to have more uh, of a chance to help people and make lives better uh, with a law degree. These are sort of twin interests that have kept bouncing me back and forth. I enjoyed the private practice of law so much that I returned to technology um, <laughs> after working on a political campaign. And, uh, and that was the beginning of seeing that there was a way to, to, uh, to help people with a combination of backgrounds. Uh, as a follow-up to that, that's kind of interesting. Uh, it's not often you find someone with a combination background of you know computer science and law like that. How have those kind of two skill sets uh, kind of melded together to to help you? I guess now as you kind of go into your current endeavors. 
it's interesting because you know I don't do a lot of programming or a lot of uh, legal analysis anymore. <laughs> the background and understanding where you know where those worlds sit, how they are similar, where they collide, has been very helpful. Working in government uh, was the first time since I got my law degree that, uh, upon telling a room full of folks that I was a lawyer, I would get positive reactions rather than recoils. And that was, I think that the law degree gives folks a sense of confidence in my, in my respect for the law and for rules and for process, uh, and my understanding that things are not always as simple as they look. The, you know, the, the ins and outs of the law have not had a particular, you know, big dent on, on the work that I do, obviously. Uh, and, and in almost every situation when we're talking about the law, I should, you know, I should preface conversations by saying I'm not really a lawyer anymore. I think the thing that I take from both programming and software background and from time spent in the law is the importance of translating between people who speak different languages. And I don't mean the actual languages that folks speak, be it English, French, or whatever else. I mean the way that people perceive their world and the words they use to talk about them. Words in law have very precise meanings, often very weighted, freighted meanings. Um, the same is true in uh, the software world. And the words we use in one world can sound very different. Uh, and especially when, when they're not understood, can sound scary or frustrating <laughs> uh, coming from a different worldview. And I think that one of the things that organizations, that, that CivTech organizations in general you know, run into over and over and are continually uh, working to be good at is doing that translation, doing the translation between what, how the user perceives government and how government perceives the user, <laughs> between uh, how someone in the IT department sees their job in their world and how someone in service delivery, uh, when that's not the same department, sees their world and how they see each other and how politicians see bureaucrats and how uh, the private sector sees the public sector and vice versa. Um, these are all uh, uh, understanding mappings uh, that we need to be very good at. You know, we like to joke that the hard part of uh, civic tech isn't the tech. Um, it's the other bit. And I think that's very true. It's the human parts uh, that matter, that, that, are, that are the hardest and that we work hard. And so bringing multiple backgrounds to of any sort, I mean, in my case, the law and uh, software, but... Uh, they could be any other backgrounds, you know, being sort of multilingual in that sense, very useful. You, you've seen uh, quite a bit of the timeline uh, for the civic technology movement. I'd be curious to get your perspective on the current state of it versus uh, how it was when you first started. Uh, could you kind of compare uh, those things for us a bit? Sure. Um, I, I came in, I didn't come in at the beginning by any means, and there are lots of folks you know, who've been doing a lot of great work for many, many years um, before I got a chance to, to uh, enter that world in 2013 as a fellow. My sense is that, that this world is now uh, more mature, more defined, uh, certainly getting uh, larger and wider in scope, 
it's spreading. <laughs> I think the fact that that it has contributed positively is um, unmistakable and is you know is cause for its uh, growth. You know, it, it goes through growing pains too. Uh, up here in Canada, Canadian Digital Service is just over a year old. The Ontario Digital Service is uh, has not been around much longer than that. And others are emerging in the provinces and in cities. Uh, Canada just named its first minister for digital government ever. The you know folks who who have gone abroad for work are are coming home to Canada and and uh, you know and be and able to do this kind of work now here. We have Code for Canada uh, emerged last year, or about the same time that CDS got started. That's an exciting development up here. Uh, a mirror. And, uh, of sorts uh, of the Code for America program that you know well. Civic tech groups are popping up in all the big cities and some of the small ones across the country here. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 uh, it goes through these growth spurts at different moments in different countries, I suppose, uh, but it's, it's pretty exciting to watch. No doubt. It, it definitely sounds like there's a, a considerable amount of exciting activity uh, going on there uh, north of the border as you're kind of building that out. And that certainly reflects well upon the movement as a whole. One thing that the civic tech movement is getting better and getting better at is finding its, its integration point with the rest of government and the civic space. Um, I think that, there, you know, I think that it's, especially initially in, in some places, there's a there's a, a feeling a perception sometimes cultivated sometimes by accident um, of sort of the other coming in and being different and separate from the the rest of the public service and civil service and I think that the civ tech movement is is getting significantly more aware of you know how to be a part of a greater whole and and I think the whole is becoming more accepting of folks who come in. You know, with a set of of you know, what we'll call broadly and probably overgeneralizing uh, digital skills, um, and the and how they can help. So uh, that to me is a, a really happy, if slow moving development. What do you think? I guess it has changed as far as maybe like behaviors in the movement that have made that that integration bit more, more viable. I guess more recently, is, is there anything that sticks out to you? Yeah, I mean, one, one is one is getting over the initial sort of culture shock of people with different points of view and different skill sets coming together. You know, when 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 that first happens, you know, there's probably a little bit of like learning about each other and um, and maybe some wariness. Certainly, especially especially when you know uh, some sort of hero motif gets overplayed and people feel uh, slighted and regarded and that sort of thing and I, I think that uh, I think I think so part of it is just that part of it is just time and part of it is that it's you know, it's helping the fact that that folks are able to come together integrate into like working teams together and achieve results together that maybe they, they might not have been able to get to without each other ideally that's the beginning and end of the story <laughs> it's working and Therefore, people are, you know, getting more comfortable with it. Related to that, uh, something that's come up a, a couple of times as far as in, in, in episodes here is this idea of kind of running into 
rigidity or, or risk aversion in, in that relationship. Is, is that something that you yourself have had to bump into? And if so, like, how have you, I guess, navigated and maneuvered that to try to better that relationship and, and still kind of move the ball forward? Sure. There's been rigidity and I'll say maybe change aversion, maybe risk aversion on, on all sides. And, and I think, that, you know, it's variable, right? It, it's, I think broadly across, across the civil service, it's getting better. As with most things, it's the unknown that, that causes folks to become rigid, risk averse, uncomfortable, suspicious. And the more familiar everyone gets with, with each other's motives, with being able to help each other, the better things go. <laughs> Listening is important. Uh, making sure that folks know that nobody's here to, nobody's here to wag a finger or to write a report saying all the things you're doing wrong. Nobody's trying to, you know, use any, anybody else's work as a, as a before and after sort of, you know, bad story, good story that, that everyone's here to, for the same reason, which is to provide better service to the public and to make government work as well as we can make it work and at a level that people expect, you know, per Mr. Lucemore's definition of digital, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a set of expectations in the modern world. And, and to the extent that we're all trying to help government meet those expectations because we believe that government sh can and should work and can and should help people, the, the rigidity and risk aversion start to fall away. You know, the, the comfort level with people and culture is one thing, but the comfort level with practice is, is, is you know, wrapped up in that as well. Um, you know, I think there's in a lot of moments across a lot of problem spaces, there's, there's the moment when you realize that the risk of doing the same thing over and over exceeds the risk of trying something different. And I think that the, the set of, sort of practices that the CivTech movement uh, you know, brings to the table is a set of fairly low risk, low cost, uh, high proof level practices that people, once they try, get pretty comfortable with pretty fast and become uh, evangelists for as long as they are get, as long as they feel like they have the space and the air cover to do so. So yeah, there's there's a um, you know part of getting past the barriers. Um, is, is also, you know, uh, support at the executive level and at the political level. And, and we enjoy an extraordinary level of that at the moment here in Canada. Now, I, I think you're keen to mention that, you know, another part of that relationship does involve the, the political or uh, elected leaders that then, you know, obviously influence policy. Organizations, both in, in the U.S. and Canada, likely will have to weather transitions of ruling party. In fact, that you know, 18F and USDS, uh, United States Digital Service, have all kind of had to do that somewhat recently with the last cycle, but have still managed to survive and, and thrive. And, and I imagine the Canadian Digital Service at some point in the future will have to go through a, a similar transition. Uh, what in your view allows these innovation teams, these organizations to survive despite the changes in political winds? I mean, to me, I think it's a pretty easy story, honestly. I mean, you know, Government doing the things it does well <laughs> is nonpartisan. Spending less to get better service is nonpartisan. Putting users first 
is nonpartisan. You know, folks can disagree reasonably or unreasonably about what government should or should not do, but the things that government is directed to do, uh, it should do well and it should get better at and it should meet people's expectations in a digital world. And I don't think there's anybody on any part of any political spectrum who disagrees with that fundamentally. And I think that's why ATNF and USDF have had the resilience they've had. And it's not to say that there aren't bumps, but I, honestly, I think the bumps are more about change than about political direction. I, you know, I think I think when all these organizations hit bumps, it, you know, often it is simply about change in leadership and folks, you know, getting comfortable with with different leadership styles and uh, different leaders have different differing levels of you know, interest, awareness, investment, uh, risk, appetite for, the, for programs like these. I don't think that's really about political change so much as it is about executive change. That, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense. I would imagine that anytime you go through a significant change at the top that there is gonna be some level of adjustment, uh, which I, I imagine you've, you've experienced yourself. But I, I think what I'm hearing from you though is that uh, you would expect these organizations of this type to, I guess, continue their, their longevity. A am I hearing you correct? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see any evidence to suggest otherwise. I mean, you know, GDF has changed, evolved, but it lives and thrives. Um, ATNF and USDS are both, you know, alive and kicking and doing incredibly important, incredibly uh, meaningful work. Uh, in the U.S., you know, the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, you know, recruiting the next class, and there's lots of work to do, and I don't, I don't see the appetite for getting that work done lessening. And speaking of, of the executive, you're, of course, the, the CEO of the Canadian Digital Service. Given that the program is, is still pretty young, I, I believe it launched July of last year, if, if, if I have that right, I, I would imagine yeah. that in your role, you're rather uniquely positioned to define a lot of precedents for culture, best practices, uh, institutional norms. Uh, what sort of baselines have you sought to create so far as, as you've gone forward? So the team has talked together uh, a fair amount about uh, what we're trying to accomplish and what we value. We've talked publicly about it some, and we'll talk more about it. Fundamentally, as far as the, the workings of the team here, the baseline stuff is the baseline stuff I think you'd expect, um, that, that we're a safe space um, and a risk observer. When we work with partner departments and offices uh, and with each other, we engage with each other and listen. Uh, we engage our partners and, and, and users and listen to them and share experiences. Every engagement begins with user research. Every product is responsive and accessible. Every team works in the open. Iteration uh, and short work sprints are the the norm. We strive for focus, and we don't try to do uh, 25 things at once. Uh, that's that's a that's a problem that can get out of hand in government, especially where the sort of the demand for this kind of work is very high. And so we 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 try to focus on you know doing a few things very well and not try to uh, give a little of ourselves to everyone all the time. Place premium on um, metrics and accountability uh, and holding each other accountable as a team to make sure that we're making the progress that we need to make, you know, meeting the expectations of um, 
the the stakeholders who have uh, you know, willed us into existence and given us the funds to do what we do, and our and our accountability to the public that we're here to serve. Uh, when when the Canadian Digital Service was founded, it was intentionally placed within the, the Treasury Board of the Canadian government. Uh, can you speak to how its placement there, specifically in the government, impacts you and and uh, in your work? Sure. Um, well, so, so there's some different pieces to that. One is that the Treasury Board Secretariat is uh, sort of a centrally a central department here, and it has line of sight across things that happen all over government which is very beneficial for what we're trying to accomplish. The, the other parts of TBS uh, are responsible for government-wide IT policy, that's the Office of the CIO, where we have a great supportive dynamic partner in Alex Binet. The, uh, the Chief Human Resource Officer for the Government of Canada is also here at TBS, and uh, Nancy just got the job, so <laughs> we won't put too much pressure on her right away. But we think there's some exciting things that we can do working with her to improve the the state of sort of workforce readiness for the digital world and being uh, you know being good at being a modern digitally oriented employer. I would be remiss if I didn't say well. So a couple other points. One, one, the fact that we as a delivery team sit by side by side with folks who develop and and assess policy is a fantastic feedback loop um, that's sort of built right into our being side by side in the same department. Um, and it's also why we embed members of our own little policy team in our product teams so that you know, we can bring back a lot of on the ground experience and, and insight into how policies are playing out in the actual delivery of digital services. And then we can bring that back to, uh, to the office of CIO and, and, and whoever else uh, across government to, to improve how policy empowers um, and reduce the burden on folks who are doing this kind of delivery. I was about to say before, I, I would be deeply remiss if I didn't note that the minister who is responsible for the Treasury Board, uh, the, the president of the Treasury Board, is also the Minister of Digital Government and has made abundantly clear how deeply he believes in what we're trying to do here. Uh, and has been incredibly supportive. You can go watch him give a TEDx talk uh, where he speaks you know, knowledgeably about working with users and working in the open and and remaining, you know, uh, well, and starting projects, you know, lean and agile. He's he's been uh, a champion for us. And so you have the minister who is absolutely invested in this and sees, you know, the direct link between. In digitizing government and the health of the bureaucracy and the health of the democracy to the secretary who has been likewise amazingly supportive of all that we do uh, to, uh, you know, to the secretary's office, the associate secretary, Alex in the CIO's office, all the way across, you know, really, it, it I would be hard pressed to describe a better setup for us trying to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, I, I don't think I could uh, come up with uh, with a better setup myself, even if I had the time, just like sit here and, and try to design it, to be honest. I mean, to have such high-level policymakers in your corner, I, I imagine, is is incredibly helpful in what you're trying to do. Very. <laughs> and we are grateful. Now, uh, another thing you, you mentioned uh, before when we were talking about baselines was that idea of like trying to maintain focus 
And one of the things in my research I, I noticed that seemed unique about the CDS is that instead of it being kind of like a mandate where you're going out and, and saying like, let's work on these projects, uh, it seems that what instead you do is you provide service based on like requests for assistance, if, if I have that right. And I believe I saw in a recent piece that your team at, was uh, like roughly 60 during its first year, but was presented with 140 different requests. Uh, how, how as an organization do you go about sifting through that mountain of requests and then choosing what to support? Yeah, so we have had uh, a large number of folks come and talk to us at various levels of interest and uh, you know, some, in, some directly in the form of, you know, many in, directly in the form of requests, others more exploratory, but yeah, you know, it, it, it is entirely accurate to say there's a lot of appetite for, for this um, and a lot of interest in learning more about this. And yeah, the team, the team actually, you know, it, it was as high as 60, including uh, students who were here over the summer. Uh, we're actually, you know, we've dipped a little down from that high, uh, but it wasn't 60 for most of the year. It, it, it got, it grew to that. <laughs> it's still a pretty small team. And, and, and so, yeah, we do, you know, we do have sort of a set of evaluation and selection criteria that we apply to figure out which projects to take on and when. Um, and the, you know, the criteria include reach sort of, uh, you know, volume and impact, how much, how much good, broadly speaking, can we do with the work, whether that, you know, to the extent that it's helping people, to the extent that it's being able to, you know, avoid costs and reallocate money more effectively, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, practice change and sort of embedding digital practices and culture in departments that are looking to change in that direction, you know, all of that is part of sort of the reach conversation. We talk about readiness, you know, they're, they're early on, especially in an organization like this, you, you need to look for places where, where you see success at the end of a tunnel, uh, potentially. Uh, not to say that we, you know, avoid hard problems by, by no means, but, uh, but we also want to make sure that, that we see, you know, the, the sort of fundamentals that we need to see in a department in terms of being able to wrangle the uh, folks from the various offices within the department that, that will need to be part of an integrated project and, and, that they, and that they're excited about doing this stuff. And then, uh, and then we also look for, you know, the extent to which the work we do uh, might be reusable and replicable. So, you know, th these are all parts of the equation. We also look, you know, uh, you know obviously at, so is this a, if, when people come to us asking for a product, is this a, thing to build or a thing to buy is it you know is is there something that can be reused so so there, there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle now uh switching gears a little bit uh you had mentioned kind of way at the beginning of our interview here uh a shout out to uh, code for canada now in in april there was a uh, blog post actually on the the cds website discussing a, a partnership between you folks and that organization from what I gather, it was uh, it's a fellowship program that brings together uh, teams of three, including a developer, a UX designer, and a product manager. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that program and, and how you use it to attract uh, talent to CS for projects like the Veterans Affairs Canada partnership that that post talks about? Sure. So, uh, so we, we partnered with Post for Canada in its first year, uh, along with the Ontario Digital Service. Uh, we were the first two clients. <laughs> And they're now working uh, with some other departments across the federal government of Canada. Um, 
uh, which is exciting. Uh, and, and, and we, you know, we could not be more delighted with how that partnership turned out. The Cobra County fellows that we got uh, assigned were deployed to, like you said, Veterans Affairs Canada, and that has borne um, incredibly productive fruit um, and, and an ongoing relationship with, with Veterans Affairs Canada that we're still you know, working with them to, to help them help veterans. <laughs> um, the, the, pro the program's not unlike the Code for America Fellowship. I don't, I don't know that the Code for America Fellowship ever worked with the federal government of the U.S., other than, of course, Jen Falca coming in uh, and, and taking those learnings from Code for America and applying them in the uh, Presidential Innovation Fellows Program when she took a year to do that. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 the model's pretty similar. The Code for Canada pitch is, is a great pitch. Come solve interesting problems, bring your digital skill set, you know, research and design, product management, development, you know, uh, be integrated in a team with dedicated, knowledgeable, experienced public servants um, who want you there. <laughs> and one of the neat things about the program is that it, it sort of builds in that, that, that team integration. The program, you know, by design, the program creates a multidisciplinary team in a government situation where maybe that multidisciplinary multi team might not otherwise have taken shape, or maybe it would have taken shape differently. And, and that's, that's often, you know, one of the initial important hurdles um, to, to get out of sort of the siloing problem. But yeah, I mean, our experience with Public County was terrific and uh, delighted that, uh, that, that they're, they're able to now you know, spread the wealth to other parts of this and other governments. Nice, and, and you mentioned in there, of course, like that, uh, the idea that it's a strong pitch, which uh, of course, you know, kind of relates to the idea of like trying to, to bring in folks that would respond to that. And the Canadian Digital Service, uh, as I've gathered, has expressed a desire to ensure that folks from a diverse set of backgrounds are encouraged to pursue, you know, leadership roles, technical roles, probably, you know, things in between. Uh, what are your thoughts regarding the recruitment process, and are there ways that you think it could be tweaked to kind of achieve that aim better? We are intent on building a team that reflects the technical excellence and cultural and geographic diversity of Canada. We're excited that you know Canadians are coming home from other places to work with us, and all of that into the process. You know, we start with building a team culture where, where people from any background feel welcome and want to work here and are excited to work here and feel safe and feel a part of the team. Uh, being remote friendly and opening, you know, uh, you know sort of being intent on opening uh, stations across Canada um, to access uh, folks from all over Canada is part of the plan. Look, in a sense, you hire, uh, you hire a diverse team by hiring a diverse team. Um, and, 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 and making, you know, and that begins with making sure that you have a team that people from different backgrounds want to be a part of. The, 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 you know, in a sense, the mission, which is uh, a very uh, diverse, you know, culturally diverse and geographically diverse mission, solves itself. So if, if we're providing meaningful work that's meaningful across the spectrum of Canadians and, and providing a place where people want to be and want to do that work, that's, those, those to me are the most important keys. I, I think what, I, what I'm hearing from you is, it, perhaps there's like some combination of a lot of those kind of uh, baselines you talked about earlier in our conversation of how you create your culture and your space and all of that and kind of combining that with the mission comes together to create something that allows you to accomplish that aim you said of, you know, 
you you have a diverse team by hiring a diverse team. Am, am I hearing you correctly there between those two things? Yep, absolutely. Oh, and, and since we're, we're talking about recruiting, let's say there's, you know, someone out there in the, the civic tech chat audience who has really liked what you've had to say today about uh, CDS. Are, are you guys typically recruiting for folks? And, and if so, how should someone, how should someone go about signaling their interest? Yeah, my DMs are open. <laughs> um, uh, give us a shout. Uh, you can reach us through, the, through our website. We're always looking for you know, talent across the spectrum and people who, you know, who are motivated to do this kind of work, who think creatively and demonstrate that they you know, can accomplish these things. Yeah, just give us a shout. On Civic Check Chat, we give the guests an opportunity to have the last word. Uh, what concluding thoughts would you like us to take away from this conversation? That we're hiring and that we have lots of exciting work to do here. <laughs> and that folks should come join us. Um, it's, it's, you never know what you're going to get when you move to a new country and try a new thing. And um, the, the people here all the way up and down, all the way across public sector, private sector, everybody's been incredibly welcoming and helpful and friendly and, and folks are dedicated to making government service great work and and works great uh and i i couldn't be happier to be a part of it aaron uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day that to join us on the program i have no doubt that there is a ton of really interesting nuggets to learn from uh, from this conversation for our audience and uh i myself really enjoyed our conversation so thank you so much thank you ryan me too you can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat, visit us on the web at civictech.chat, or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.